Flash floods, two fierce cyclones, heat waves, torrential rains, monsoon floods, landslides. Why is India witnessing a series of climate calamities this year? Currently, as the west coast of India is still reeling from the fury of the deadly monsoons, over 150 people have already lost their lives in Maharashtra from landslides and floods that were triggered by the overwhelming rains. Similarly, in Himachal Pradesh, heavy rains have caused a series of landslides in the state. In one such incident that was captured in a video, heavy boulders hurtled towards a bridge that resulted in the death of nine tourists who were travelling in a vehicle. But as some parts of India are dealing with extreme rainfall, some other parts have been facing heat waves that have become a regular phenomenon in the country, with temperatures soaring to new heights year after year. While a severe heat wave gripped Delhi and the rest of northern India in the beginning of July, even cooler areas like Ladakh in the Himalayan region recorded high temperatures and heat waves. Before these recent events in February a flash flood in the Rishiganga river wiped out a hydel power plant in Uttarakhand's Chamoli district that event also led to the loss of more than 200 lives while experts believe that the floods were caused by a glacial burst they also blame ecologically damaging developmental activities for this disaster And it's not just India alone that is dealing with extreme climate events from Germany to China to Canada to US countries across the world are seeing unprecedented rainfalls record breaking scorching temperatures and raging wildfires that have already been forewarned by climate experts but what does that say about the future can action still be taken to address global warming our guest in today's episode is mr anjal prakash research director and adjunct associate professor at bharti institute of public policy and the indian school of business he is also the lead author in the chapter on cities settlements and key infrastructure in the ipcc 6th assessment report we also have with us mr navroz kedubash a professor at the center for policy research he is also currently a coordinating lead author for the ipcc 6th assessment report You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Shwalburi. As Maharashtra witnessed the heaviest July rains in 40 years, photos and video footage from some of the worst affected districts of the state show a very frightening image of what global warming can lead to. Entire districts in the coastal areas of Ratnagiri has been seen to be submerged in water. Some people's mud homes have been completely washed off. Some others were forced to take refuge in the roofs of their submerged houses before help came their way. The Raigad district has witnessed the highest number of casualties so far. owing to a deadly landslide that has flattened several houses in the small village of Talie the neighboring state of goa too witnessed one of its worst floods in decades as it received heavy rainfall between 10 to 23 july that was 122% above the average several districts in the coastal areas of karnataka are also on red alert with nine people being reported as missing in the rain affected areas but these extreme rainfalls unpredictable climate conditions and landslides are not freak events anymore why are they seemingly becoming the new normal in the country what we are seeing mr anjal prakash says is a visible change in the patterns of rainfall and if all this is bad it's expected to get worse and worse the kind of climate event that we are seeing around us in india most recently is in terms of the uh, excess rainfall that uh, is leading to flood situation and when i'm saying excess rainfall it actually means that uh, the normal rainfall it is much much beyond the uh, you know way in which uh, rainfall patterns have happened in the past and uh, increasingly we are seeing that these uh, rainfall pa- patterns have changed quite drastically 
uh, now you have to understand that the indian subcontinent's monsoon system which was one of the you know backbone of our economy and still is the backbone of our economy because most of the rainfall happens in the period of uh, four to five months now we are seeing increasingly that these uh, rainfall patterns have drastically changed and the only thing we can attribute this to is the global warming now what happens because of in the during the global warming process is that it uh, uh, it has made these uh, systems very unpredictable so uh, the the average rainfall has not changed much but what has happened is that the number of rainy days have reduced that means you get the entire four months rainfall in just a couple of days um, and that is where the major issues are lying because the infrastructure is not able to withhold the excess rainfall that is getting and this is a very clearly a climate change impact uh, story so in future what uh, uh, climate scientists ipc scientists are predicting that the frequency and the severity of climate event be it uh, cyclones or uh, the um, you know excessive rainfall that we are seeing all these events or even the drought period um, these are things going to be much more severe and much more frequent that means that uh, we need to be very very careful and be ready of uh, say a dry long dry spell at the same time shorter wet spell which is mainly to urban flooding or places like himachal and uh, if you see in uttarakhand the flooding is leading to landslides uh, because the normal rainfall is much way beyond the normal rainfall which is happening so these are the events which is going to be what we call the new normal and then we have to as soon as possible we need to adapt to this uh, situation but as mentioned earlier india is not alone in witnessing such catastrophes a record breaking rainfall in central china has left a million people displaced as the country's jiangzhou region recorded a years worth rain in just 72 hours elsewhere in the pacific northwest several cities in the us and canada have also seen record breaking heat waves that left many people dead and the hot and dry conditions there are also leading to bigger wildfires in these countries although the effects of climate calamities have been more visible in the low and middle income countries owing to a weak infrastructure mr navroz kedubash says that now even the infrastructure of developed countries are getting overwhelmed these extraordinary weather problems are all indicating towards the immediate effects of climate change he says Well I think what we're seeing um in the form of absolutely extraordinary weather events around the world uh, suggests that it's very hard to uh, well suggest that climate change is already with us uh, it's a here and now problem it's not a future problem uh, what we're also seeing is that while the climate signal in some ways is less visible and by that i mean the signal that something is happening because of climate change mm. in some ways is less visible in some developing countries even though we are more vulnerable because the general state of infrastructure is poorer mm. right mm. so cities get flooded more often anyway in developing countries mm. um uh, because the drainage is poorer and so on and so forth mm. you're now seeing this in countries that have otherwise been able to build infrastructures that are relatively climate proof those infrastructures are getting overwhelmed Hmm. such as the floods in germany um and uh states in the us that have been used to kind of climate controlled environments hmm. uh are getting overwhelmed so when you see the pacific northwest of the us and in canada uh having temperatures that we associate with the middle of summer in delhi hmm. they simply just don't have the infrastructure for that so as many people have been arguing we have to try 
and redouble our efforts to address climate change, by which we mean limiting the rise in greenhouse gas emissions mm. and bringing them down. Mm. But also, we have to start investing in what is called adaptation, that is, figuring out how to build our cities, our landscapes, our agricultural systems, our coastal systems in ways that are less vulnerable mm. to climate shocks, because climate shocks are now inevitable. And as Mr. Dubash says, quite evidently, climate change is not just a faraway possibility anymore. It's already here knocking at our doors. The recent events are only more additions to a series of climate change-induced events that the country has been witnessing in the recent years. If you look back at 2020, the situation was no better while India was already battling the pandemic. Supercyclone Amphan ravaged through the Sundarbans and the other coastal areas of West Bengal, including the state capital Kolkata. A report published by Christian Aid in 2020 titled Counting the Cost 2020, a Year of Climate Breakdown, also stated that with as many as 2,067 lives being lost to floods and Cyclone Amphan, India recorded the maximum casualty in the world from climate-related disasters in 2020. But climate experts had already warned that cyclones are getting more frequent and more severe as the sea temperature rises. And indeed, just a year later, in May 2021, Cyclone Tokte, another fierce cyclone unseen in decades, claimed 155 lives in the western states. India was also the seventh most affected country by climate change globally in 2019, according to the Global Climate Risk Index of 2021. And as per the Med Department's data, extreme weather events driven by climate change claimed as many as 1,659 lives across India in 2019. Yet, year after year, the climate crisis is only getting more and more critical. While these extreme weather events are occurring at a higher frequency in the country, beyond disaster management, are we prepared to combat climate change as a whole? In the backdrop of the recent calamities on 25th July, Home Minister Amit Shah credited Prime Minister Narendra Modi for taking the lead role in fighting against climate change. In the previous years, we've also seen PM Modi reinstate India's commitment to fight climate change at international climate summits. Under the Paris Agreement, India is committed to do three things. Firstly, to cut carbon footprint by 33% to 35% from its 2005 level by the year 2030. Secondly, increase non-fossil fuel power capacity to 40% from 28% in 2015. And three, increase forest cover to cut down carbon dioxide. And among the G20 countries, India has also been lauded for coming close to its goals. But is it enough? Mr. Dubash says that while the country has ramped up its renewables, the one big question for India is how we can try and infuse our development with sustainability. Until now, everything that we have done has been opportunistically done. And I don't mean that in a negative way. We have seized opportunities where they have existed. So, for example, we have really ramped up our renewable energy to quite high numbers and we have set very ambitious targets. Um, Now, uh, uh, that is something that I say it's opportunistic uh, because we are a uh, uh, energy secure uh, uh, aware country. So more renewables means less dependence on uh, on coal imports, which were going up alarmingly at the earlier part of the decade, hmm. uh, potentially less dependence on uh, oil imports, uh, uh, and I say potentially because it's not automatic, it depends on our transport system. Hmm. So, uh, and we have lots of sun. So we were moving on that front. Hmm. But we weren't thinking about the electricity system as a whole. At the same time as we were talking about more uh, renewable energy, we were also talking about expanding coal. Hmm. Now, ultimately, to address this problem, we have to decarbonize electricity and then use ever more electricity for ever more things. 
So ultimately, transport has to be electrified, cooking has to be electrified, even industry has to be electrified, and that electricity has to come from low carbon sources. That is the pathway hmm. for addressing climate uh, uh, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. So we weren't thinking in that holistic way. How do we transform our whole system? Hmm. So when I say there's a fork in the road, we can continue doing the opportunistic stuff, but ultimately it won't add up. And that is the big switch that India has to make. We have a, taken an approach that says, we will do things that are good for development and good for climate. Hmm. And I think that makes sense for a country like India, where per capita emissions are low, where we have a lot of poverty uh, to, to address and so on. But I think the question is now, has the definition of what is good for development shifted? Hmm. As the world is moving increasingly rapidly to a low carbon future, hmm. will we be a more competitive society if we are at the forefront of those technologies? Right? So that is the question for India. Are we going to try and infuse all of our development conversations with the idea of sustainability, with the idea of a low-carbon transition? Mr. Anjal Prakash says that while India has strengthened its environment policies, the policies must transform into programs and on-ground change. Along with policies, there should also be a focus on climate-resilient infrastructure, he says, but we are still lagging far behind. So in the extreme climate situation, what happens is the um, climate change is a force multiplier. So first issue is definitely about the infrastructure not being climate resilient. So our own house has to be put in order uh, because climate change is out there. So that means that uh, we need to plan everything that we are planning from roads to infrastructure, from school buildings to uh, no other uh, things that we are looking at. Uh, everything has to be climate resilient. And that is a major problem because it is also going to bring in a lot more cost because one is that we have we don't have much skill of how to induct climate change into our normal programming process so that part of it is slowly coming in but it's still there's a huge capacity gap second is uh, that these uh, uh, you know system has to be put on ground and that means that you at least need four to five years uh, to put things on ground especially in terms of infrastructure in terms of skill building process in terms of adaptation process so all that is it it is uh, the time uh, you know of urgency which i see um, so we haven't started much at this moment so you see if we have not even started now what will happen in couple of years when we are looking at uh, you know these things are going to be much more severe so we need to uh, plan this much much ahead in in, in uh, planning and that's where the major problem lies in terms of domestic uh, climate policies or environmental policies we actually are doing much better uh, we have one of the best policies and also the existing policies that we have uh, are pretty much uh, in tune with with uh, combating climate change what we need to do uh, is two things. One is definitely to put things more on ground because the policies has to translate into programs and that program has to benefit the people. So that's, that's one. Second is also uh, about climate resilient development planning. That has not been done much. We, ha we do have a national adaptation plan. We have state specific adaptation plan, but those plan has to, you know, be implemented and that requires a lot of money. Uh, that means you have to reallocate your budget uh, so that these plans uh, which are there already on paper has to uh, be implemented on ground and that is where the major crux lies. So it's not the policies, it's the implementation which is uh, needed uh, to, you know, uh, to be speed up. And uh, 
you have to put money where the mouth is and that's the whole part is that you have to bring in more and more resources to get these uh, projects on ground but there are also roadblocks in the way of a successful change despite its ambitious goals to reduce emissions the country is still heavily dependent on coal which is a big source of greenhouse gas emissions yet india has decided to further open up commercial coal mining at the same time the government has also been accused of weakening environmental protection laws approving developmental projects without adequate checks that could be detrimental to the ecology and such actions are only likely to have a direct impact on the kind of climate change that we are already facing moreover even though the economic shutdown in the early months of the pandemic last year has been able to reduce carbon emissions temporarily it all promptly bounced back to pre-pandemic levels with the reopening of the economy how will the country address these issues mr prakash says that india needs a focused green covid-19 recovery strategy see the economic uh standstill that we have due to a uh, pandemic that has led to a sharp reduction in emission in the short term but they will start increasing again same rate unless india develops a focused green uh, covid uh, 19 st- recovery strategy with a large stimulus package of 10% of gdp announced and the experience of the clean air during lockdown the crisis presents an opportunity for india to accelerate a transition away from coal and renewable energy as well as accelerate an uptake of electric uh, mobility but there is no clear sign that india is seizing this opportunity and that's the major uh, issue which uh, which was a, which is a missed opportunity i would say so we need to uh, you know slowly trans uh, transition into a um, uh, uh, low carbon economy and that road uh, is something that we re- will yet to see and uh, that's where the major crux lies although we'll be left to see if the new environment minister bhupender yadav is able to meet these challenges or not mr dubash says that the ministry of environment can't be the only one responsible with driving changes he says it has to be an all government approach we can't think about environment as a distinct sector hmm. right and let me just make one point about what india should do in this regard and this is something we at cpr are working on and having an event on this week hmm. can't have climate change be only under the control of the ministry of environment because if it's under the control of the ministry of environment they can't really bring ministry of power ministry of coal urban development agriculture etc to the table they can't drive change in all those ministries hmm. this needs to be an all of government approach hmm. we need a, a a a way to engage all of government and all of society including the states so we need to think about climate change not as the bailiwick of one ministry hmm. it's something that harnesses change across different different parts of government and different parts of society that mindset shift is not yet has not yet arrived but i think that's urgently what we need if we can bring that about then there are many more opportunities we can take advantage of to build a low carbon future Now already the planet has warmed around 1.2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial era while the aim is to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius but such climate events being reported from across the world has also managed to bring the focus back on environment and global warming and the need to reduce carbon and greenhouse emissions worldwide admittedly much before young environmentalists like Greta Thunberg's passionate speeches about climate change grabbed the world's attention there have been adequate forewarnings from climate experts about the kind of climate calamities that we're seeing but can action still be taken to prevent climate crisis from getting worse 
Mr. Dubash believes that the good thing is that discussions on environment has now come into the mainstream. He says that although we are still not seeing enough changes on the ground, these discussions have created awareness which will help bring change much faster. Look, I've been working on this stuff since 1990, right, climate change. Hmm. And so I have no rights to be an optimist, uh, but I but I remain so. Hmm. Um and the reason is that really this used to be such a marginal conversation. and it is now a far more mainstream conversation investors are taking climate change seriously even india has environmental and social investor uh, groups and 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 funds now yeah. uh, money flows yeah. are being redirected to low carbon uh, futures yeah. right people are seeing low carbon uh, uh, opportunities as growth areas yeah. uh, the youth are much more seized of this issue uh uh certainly the elite youth and hopefully you know across across the board people are beginning to make associations between things like um droughts between things like uh uh heat events between lower crop yields things that animate uh uh, uh people as they should because it's close to their lives or flood events in cities they're making that linkage now to climate change and realizing mm. that these are not isolated uh incidents so consciousness is kind of is kind of changing Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm a little bit optimistic is that any transformation typically follows kind of an S curve shape, mm-hmm. right? Which is the low part of the S as you're going from the sort of bottom of the S, uh you're moving along this transformation mm-hmm. and not much is changing on the ground, mm-hmm. but you're creating all the conditions, consciousness, investor awareness and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And once those things reach a critical mass, things will change on the ground much faster. that's my hope and my and 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 i think that this it's sort of born out if you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story playlist for episodic updates we'll have on apple google podcast spotify geo seven and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms for other podcasts please log on to the quinn website and check out the podcast section for any feedback shoot an email to podcasts@thequinn.com Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.